This is Nullius in Verba, a podcast about science, what it is, and what it could be. It's co-hosted by me, Smriti Mehta from UC Berkeley, and me, Daniel Lagens from Eindhoven University of Technology. In this two-part episode, we discuss the fine art of pre-registration. We go back into the history of pre-registration, its evolution, and current use. Do we pre-register to control type 1 error rate, or to show that we derived our prediction from theory a priori? Can and should we pre-register exploratory or secondary data analysis? And how severe is the issue of severe testing? Enjoy! A man once pointed to a small target choked upon a door, the target having a bullet hole through the center of it, and surprised some spectators by declaring that he had fired the shot from an old fouling piece at a distance of 100 yards. His statement was true enough, but he suppressed a rather important fact. The shot had really been aimed in a general way at the barn door, and had hit it. The target was afterwards choked around the spot where the bullet struck. A deception analogous to this is, I think, often practiced unconsciously in other matters. Nice. When is this from? This is an old quote from um, the mathematician John Venn. Of the Venn diagram fame, I guess. (gasps) Um, The first mention of what we nowadays would call the sharpshooter fallacy. (laughs) And it comes from 1866. Wow. That's pretty old. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty old. mathematician. Why are mathematicians Mm -hmm. worried about this? Because people often try to quantify the probability of something after it has happened instead Mm. of calling the shot in advance. And Mm. they explain it, something after it has happened. And this is in a section on his uh, book, The Logic of Chance, Mm. where he's explaining some fallacies. And um, yeah, this is the fallacy of instead of foretelling a probability after it has happened, of course. After the fact, yeah. yeah. And this is what we would now in contemporary language called harking. It's the same, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, instead of um, really just shooting a target, you you draw it after the fact. But right. in, in science, instead of having a hypothesis and then testing it, you collect some data and then you create the hypothesis After from looking the at data. the results, yeah. Or hypothesizing after the results are known. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and these things can all be prevented by what we're going to talk about today, the topic of pre-registration. Well, so prevented is a strong word, but okay, okay, we'll talk. We'll, we can discuss exactly, that. Exactly. <laughs> yes. No, you're already doing a very good job. Very good job because prevented. Maybe we hoped. We hoped a decade right. ago. Maybe we hoped mm-hmm. it could be prevented, but nowadays that definitely doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've forgotten our devil's advocate position a little bit, yeah. but luckily. There's actually somebody in the scientific literature to play the devil's advocate for mm-hmm. us. Well, there's many, and but this, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's many, but this is uh, also an old one. Okay. So this is uh, Keynes, the economist, 
1921. Okay. Yeah, so we, we are zooming forward rapidly yeah. through history, but nevertheless. Um, and, and he doesn't really think that it matters at all, hmm. uh, whether you call your shot or not. So um, he says, the number of instances examined and the analogy between them are the essential points. And the question as to whether a particular hypothesis happens to be propounded before or after their examination is quite irrelevant. Hmm. So he doesn't care about this at all. Um, and I had seen this quoted quite a lot. And I always thought, yeah, okay, I can sort of get his point why it wouldn't matter. Like purely logically, it doesn't matter. But then I looked it up for this episode. And um, there is actually a second part that comes a little bit later. Um, and I think that makes sense a little bit. So there's a second part, and there he says, The opposite view, which the unreliability of some statisticians has brought into existence, that it is a positive advantage to approach statistical evidence without preconceptions based on general grounds, because the temptation to cook the evidence will prove otherwise to be irresistible, has no logical and he italicizes the logical himself, logical basis and need only be considered when the impartiality of an investigator is in doubt. Wow. I have not heard that take before, but that is very interesting. So what he's almost saying is that you should go looking at the data without any prior leaning mm -hmm. toward, you know, how the results should be, because then your impartiality will be preserved versus going in with the hypothesis. Huh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is yeah. very interesting. Do you think then there's a difference between different kinds of research disciplines where this would be more or less applicable? Like I can see for an economist, all they're getting, let's say, is just like a, a huge amount of data from, you know, mm -hmm. some company mm -hmm. or some governmental whatever databases, right? Mm -hmm. And they, mm -hmm. you can say, okay, their job is to just go and try to see what's what exists in the data. But if you're talking about yeah. somebody like a psychologist, well, the data don't exist unless you go in, mm -hmm. you know, creating the data yourself, in which case you mm -hmm. do have to go in with some idea of what you want to study. There's a research question and you in inevitably yeah. have in mind, OK, this is what I expect to find. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. maybe a little bit harder to do in, in some disciplines versus others. It might be more difficult to do in in some disciplines because you mm -hmm. have to actively collect the data and some other fields yeah. might collect existing data and maybe also some fields get some sort of uh, assignment from the government like tell us mm -hmm. what, what's going right. on here yeah. and mm -hmm. and but basically the key thing is this impartiality of an right. investigator indeed right and maybe there are fields where people are very impartial they don't have any biases or things they stakes want to in the game true. yeah right. stakes in the game yeah yeah very good um maybe that exists but i actually think that Keynes might just be one of those purely logical human beings that otherwise <laughs> really don't exist too often you know <laughs> maybe well i i don't know i think there, there are more of those in that i think or gra gravitate mm. towards science um, or research mm. than there might be in other disciplines. I think so, but yeah. But let's say let's say we cannot totally avoid these biases towards certain hypotheses or expecting the data to turn out a certain way based on just your experience as a mm. researcher. Then 
one of the things we have recommended in the past is sort of separating mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Res- you know the the person who's analyzing the data from the person who comes up with the hypothesis. And that I yeah. think could just be so useful on so many levels, right? Somebody else develops a theory, derives the hypothesis from the theory, and then somebody else goes and tests them, right? Yeah. I think that's really interesting. So maybe we can really give it a little bit to Keynes saying, yeah, in some ways of doing science. So so as we discussed before, you have like the theoreticians and the mm-hmm. experimentalists, for example, mm-hmm. you separate the two. That, yeah. that and would the maybe three, be maybe enough. we have a third layer of the statisticians, right? You mm-hmm. have people who mm-hmm. come up with the hypothesis, people who are better at designing the experiments, design the experiments mm-hmm. and conduct them. And then somebody else who has totally no you know, don't care either way how it goes. The statisticians, they can take care of the statistical analysis. Yeah, yeah. And and if that is impartial enough, I mean, I would like to see some evidence because I think it's just so tempting to come up with certain stories. Or even if you get assigned to a certain research question, you might still want certain outcomes, but maybe not so much. Who knows? Who knows how it would work? So, um. Yeah, I definitely could see it happen. And I think that there are some cases where this is done pretty well. Um, For example, in um, large medical trials where there's Mm. just a monitoring committee and they keep track of the data, they perform the statistical analysis and the doctors are the doctors and the Mm -hmm. funders are the funders, you know? And uh, I mean, there might be a pharmaceutical company funding a trial, but they are not doing the analyses and they have... Well, they also pre-specify. So, I mean, they will we'll <laughs> yeah. come back to it. So I think registration, pre-registration also happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, Clinical trials. Does it happen yeah. like in the Netherlands as well? I know they started it a number of years yeah. ago in the US. So now all clinical trials have to be registered on clinicaltrials.gov. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that yeah. started in 1997 in the right. US. So not even that long ago. Right. But I guess the reason that it's there is that, yeah, maybe these monitoring trials and stuff wasn't enough. I don't know. Or maybe yeah. there are too many s- trials where they don't have these monitoring committees and there's still too much uh, possibility right. of bias. Yeah. Yeah. But even there, I haven't looked. I mean, I, I was part of a study that had to be registered. It was like a clinical mm-hmm. intervention, like a psychological intervention, but a clinical intervention. So it had to be registered on clinicaltrials.gov. If I remember correctly, even those are not updated that well or not, you know, mm-hmm. managed. And there, yeah, so I'm not sure if just having some, you know, forcing and maybe we will, we can move to talking. Well, or maybe not, but we should talk about it at some point that even with pre-registrations, right? We can enforce mm-hmm. this idea that, oh, everybody should pre-register all the studies, but then who mm-hmm. main, you know mm-hmm. who looks at the quality of those or are they yes. actually aligned with what was actually done during the study and if there were yes. deviations how do we track them and which deviations are okay and which deviations are not um which yeah. you have thought about quite a bit recently um mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. those those questions all good come questions. up right yeah, yeah. i think <laughs> yeah. i think we will probably come come by all of them but it's mm-hmm. interesting that uh, what you mentioned that in uh, clinical trials they have mm-hmm. this uh, requirement to register since 1997 mm-hmm. and indeed they did not do a very good job first of all in the first couple of years nobody did it voluntarily anyway <laughs> but, uh, yeah. it was not until 2004 uh, mm-hmm. until a bunch of editors of top journals started to say hey you can't get published in our journals anymore unless you register that people are like oh mm. damn it now we really have, have to do, do it that. okay but indeed just like we started in the beginning, we said, yeah, if you pre-register, that will solve issues. That's the naive version. And we could have yeah. learned from 
clinical trials that that yeah. it isn't done well <laughs> for maybe yeah. the first decade or so because they mm. didn't do a very good job right. and you see people continuously updating the quality or trying i should say mm -hmm. trying to update the quality of registrations in clinical trials mm -hmm. and here you know people are getting paid to do this this is their job they are like mm. clinical trial statisticians oh. and researchers and stuff you know people are not always but you know, they get some more help sometimes, I guess. Mm -hmm. But there they have exactly the same problems that we are now encountering, where yeah. they see the quality is just not very high. And they have done it like, you know, two decades before we started. Longer so we should us. have yeah. realized that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that there's stuff to learn. And yeah, that's what you see, right? I mean, they started giving out those badges for pre-registrations, right? Mm -hmm. Offering incentives for people to do it, which in theory yeah. sounds like a good idea, but you do come across so many of them that are pre-registered, but the pre-registration is so vague that it's almost mm -hmm. equivalent to, you know, drawing the ch circle by chalk right after you've hit it. Like there's so much, <laughs> right? I'm The yeah. idea of a yeah, pre-registration yeah. is that you limit the researcher degrees of freedom, but you can create mm -hmm. a pre-registration that's super vague and actually yes. isn't doing anything to limit how yes how you can go about analyzing the data so that is an issue yeah completely right and i think it's time to just say that this idea of badges for mm -hmm. pre-registration yeah. i think it, it just was a mistake yeah, yeah. Oh, i think I all think those badges was yeah kind of silly yeah yeah you know with data you could at least you can't really mess it up if you just upload your data file at least there's something but people don't really do a very good job with their pre-registrations, totally true. And it's interesting that uh, there's a new incoming editor for psychological science, Samin mm -hmm. Bazir, and she already said, we're gonna drop the badges, they're gonna go. Yeah. That is good, good, good Makes call, sense. Samin, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we should actually, because we're already starting to talk about pre-registration, but um, shall we mm -hmm. take one moment to define what it is? try to yeah. give a definition yeah. of it. Absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, we're treating as everybody should know what it is. So I uh, yeah. let's give it a try for it. So pre-registrations are um, time-stamped documents. That's one thing. So we, you know, you, you basically have to make a picture of a newspaper uh, of yourself uh, and say, <laughs> I set this on this date. No, yeah. uh, but what we do is just uh, go to a website typically mm -hmm. now on the internet where we um, yeah. register, we upload it. So it's timestamped, that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So it basically means at this certain time, uh, mm -hmm. and then um, we describe our analysis plan. This is mm -hmm. how we're gonna collect our data, but also how we're gonna analyze it when we have it. Mm -hmm. So how much participants we will collect and, and mm -hmm. the tests we will perform. Um, and the goal of this is mainly to transparently communicate that this analysis plan is independent of the data. Mm -hmm. So you, at the moment that you come up with the plan, you're basically mm -hmm. trying to convince other people that mm -hmm. you were not inspired by the data. So this whole sh sharpshooter fallacy, you're saying, right. look, I didn't shoot the bullet yet. It's not already in the barn door, right? That's mm -hmm. basically what you're trying to transparently communicate with this pre-registration. Right. Do you know when people started to um, propose this pre-registration, the idea Are you it? talking about like, in our field or just in general? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the oldest examples of people saying, you know, this is what we should be doing. Oh my God. I mean, it could be our field. Would it Would it be psychologists who figured it out or maybe statisticians or I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming that people who started the clinical trials.gov had that idea in mind, right? So it certainly precedes our replication crisis. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to take a guess and say like 1935. <laughs> I couldn't I find why. anything this long that ago. Old, I couldn't yeah. find it. No, no. Yeah. I think um, I think we can pinpoint it more or less, uh, unless anybody comes up with earlier findings that uh-huh. say the same thing. But it's around 1966 and they're actually uh-huh. two, two people yeah. who write about it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. One, mm-hmm. one is my favorite uh, example, which I have mm-hmm. often use in education material nice. and presentations. Uh-huh. It's by Bacon uh, in 1966. Mm-hmm. And he is actually writing about the difficulty of saying whether you're going to do a one-sided test or a two-sided test. Mm-hmm. And um, we know that, you know, you can get away with um, higher p-values if then after the fact you say, oh, oh, but by the way, it was actually a one-sided test. So, you know, mm-hmm. so now yeah. I can half my p-value or, you know, I can do a one-sided test and then I can squeak under significance. And they right. realized this in 1966 as well. So uh, he writes, now here there was a difficulty. The test of significance is not nearly so automatic an inference process as had been thought. It is manifestly contingent on the decision of the investigator as to whether to run a one or a two-tailed test. And somehow making the decision after the data was collected and the means computed seemed like cheating. (laughs) How should this be handled? And then he comes up with such an interesting uh, solution. Should there be some central registry in which one registers one decision to run a one or two-tailed test before collecting the data. And then, should one, as one eminent psychologist once suggested to me, send oneself a letter so that the postmark would prove that one had predecided <laughs> to run a one-tailed test? Isn't that nice? <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, that's like old-school pre-registration. <laughs> exactly. Before that's the internet, lovely. you send yourself a letter. Yeah, great That's how suggestion. we should do pre-registrations now. Post yourself I, I a agree. letter and, and take a I picture agree. of it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. This is just like the hipster version of it. We should do it, you know. Yeah, send yourself a letter so and then carry funny. it around. And then anybody <laughs> anybody people? challenges yeah. you like, are you sure you made this prediction beforehand? Like, ta da! <laughs> here's a here's my maybe, letter. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe send yourself ten or so. You know, then you have ten <sighs> people who challenge you, and every time you can bring out one of your ten letters. And uh, yeah, hmm. it's good. It's amazing that yeah they were thinking about it that early. That is an, an yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's a second. Uh, Rosenthal wrote a book ah, on experimenter mm-hmm. effects in behavioral research. Right. Really such a recommended book. Mm. I mean, uh, it's really full of interesting stuff, this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but here he basically talks about how we already ruin our students um, with uh, what he calls sort of an outcome focus, outcome mm-hmm. consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he describes situations where uh, apparently committees that evaluate the work of a PhD student used to say, well, it's not significant yet, so go mm. back and collect some more data because if it's not significant, it can't be good. And then he already says like, hey, um, you know, maybe these universities should actually uh, not promote this outcome consciousness or you know that you're so focused on it and then he says well it's not just for the doctoral students it's actually for uh, uh, the publication process and then here here it comes the same problem occurs in our publication policies one can always account for an unexpected undesired or negative result by referring to the specific procedures employed that this occurs so often is testament to our outcome consciousness 
What we may need is a system for evaluating research based only on the procedures employed. If the procedures are judged appropriate, sensible and sufficiently rigorous to permit conclusions from the results, the research cannot then be judged inconclusive on the basis of the results and rejected by the referees or editors. And then he says, to accomplish this might require that procedures only be submitted initially for editorial review or that only the result less section be sent to a referee or at least that an evaluation of the procedures be set down before the referee or editor reads the results. So this is basically a proposal for what we now would call registered reports. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah. is so cool. Yeah, Rosenthal must have been a cool guy. Mm-hmm. And he also coined the term file drawer effect, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But that that yeah. is very interesting because he's not only... Because, I mean, that is a very, very good suggestion that could be implemented in case you do not do a registered report is to mm-hmm. only send out mm-hmm. the methods for review first um, and contingent yeah. on that, accept, then send out the results when they have been accepted because um, you can yeah. write, even if you can't do a registered report, you can limit first the first round of review to just the introduction and methods. That's a pretty yeah. good suggestion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it depends a bit on what you want to prevent. So the registered report format actually prevents two things and pre-registration only prevents one thing. Uh-huh. So um, pre-registration prevents the sharpshooter fallacy kind of Mm -hmm. things where you you know you come up with your hypothesis after looking at the data the Mm -hmm. registered report format does a second thing and it also prevents publication bias and that is also what this format tries to do so if negative results are not published yeah and you can't see that it's a negative result when you submit it then you prevent publication bias and probably also research waste, right? If you're mm-hmm. if you're proposing mm-hmm. a study and it's totally going to be useless and will not answer the question you're after, hopefully it will avoid people going down and actually collecting the data and running the study and then later realizing, oh, actually, this isn't designed yeah. well enough for us to answer the questions we wanted to answer. So, yeah, good. Yeah. No, completely true. Mm-hmm. So, so these are some uh, examples, right? So people came up with the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then maybe uh, just as maybe the last historical fact <laughs> before we move yeah. on to more modern things. Uh-huh. Um, so which field do you think then actually implemented this the first time? Are the clinical trial people in 1997 the first to start to require this? Or do you think there was a field before this that thought we really need rigorous science? Let's, let's implement some policies like this. Daniel, as a psychologist, you should know better than to ask such loaded questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's obvious it has to be somebody before clinical trials, right? Exactly. So so who would it be? <laughs> Who, who's so rigorous, like doing such rigorous research? What comes to mind? <laughs> okay, can I, ask a, can I ask for a hint? Is it one yeah, of the Yeah, you can ask a hint. Physical sciences yeah. or biological sciences or social sciences? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good good well actually a question is is it even a science? <gasps> That's the hint. Mm. <laughs> well, it can't be parapsychology. It is. Oh it my is God. parapsychology. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, I just want to give a shout out because 
for some um, surprising reason, my library actually doesn't have the entire back Good. issue of uh -huh. the uh, European Journal of Parapsychology. Go figure. I didn't. Yeah. It's, Maybe I'll uh, take a miss. look for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very difficult to get by, but uh, Caroline Watts from the Kustler uh, Institute in Edinburgh, mm -hmm. um, who works uh, on the, in the field of parapsychology, was mm -hmm. kind enough to send me a photocopy very of cool. um, an editorial by Martin Johnson in 1975 hmm. Hmm. and um, he has clearly read Rosenthal and some other mm -hmm. people so it's clear where his inspiration comes from but he is the editor of this new journal of uh, mm -hmm. the European Journal of Parapsychology mm -hmm. and he proposes the following he says um, yeah he gives a couple of options of how they could promote rigor in their field mm -hmm. and he's really mm -hmm. serious about this by the way mm. right mm -hmm. they're really mm -hmm. serious about it uh, they also had a recent fraud case uh, I think 1972 somewhere, no big fraud case. So, yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. All right, and then he writes, according to the philosophy of this model, the experimenter should define his problem, formulate his hypotheses, and outline his experiment prior to commencing his study. He mm. should write the, uh, his manuscript stating at least essential facts before carrying out his investigation. This manuscript, in principle only lacking data in the tables, presentation of results and interpretation of results should be sent to one or more editors and the experimenter should not initiate his study until at least one of the editors has promised to publish the study regardless of the outcome of the experiment. Very cool. They very, they very tried cool. it. I think they did a few. It wasn't very popular for mm. some reason. Maybe the parapsychologists really didn't want to do it. <laughs> well, even oh, yeah. but to, but to you know, um, give them some cut them some slack. It is even hard for even now to do it right. It's sort of mm -hmm, more mm -hmm. work for everybody to do the right because then you have to go to multiple rounds of review, and it's sort of just more intensive as a yeah. process to do a registered study yeah. pre, uh, like a registered report so yeah no but it, let at least let's give some credit to the field mm -hmm. and to this editor for um you know promoting this, promoting uh, this it, use. yeah so but and yeah it sort of makes uh, sense but, that given what their d discipline is right people are mm -hmm. like for them to show that oh we actually did really predict what we said we were predicting and we can actually see yeah. you know <laughs> yeah so for them i think it's even more crucial to put I these agree. checks I in agree. place right for people to yeah. take them seriously yeah. 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 So they really have to put up the highest standards. But nevertheless, yeah. it took uh, many, many years before mm. it became more popular. And and an interesting fact, by the way, about the um, clinicaltrials.gov. Mm -hmm. So that, that happened since 1997. Um, mm -hmm. In 2004, it really became sort of required and expected. Mm -hmm. But but actually, even there, since uh, 2004, I think there's a continuous improvement in the quality of these registrations hmm. up to the point that they really fulfill the same thing as what we talk about in terms of a pre-registration where they prevent people from coming up with analysis after looking at the data. So the, that the registration has sufficient detail, just mm -hmm. like you mentioned before that you know many right. of the registrations are so vague. In the beginning, they were fine with super vague registrations. You just mm -hmm. say, this is our outcome variable. And, you know, you didn't really specify much about it. So there was still mm -hmm. a lot of outcome switching, as they call mm -hmm. it in this field, mm -hmm. where people say in advance, like, well, blood pressure is our main dependent variable. But then after mm -hmm. the fact, 
you know, they change it to some change other it, yeah. dependent variables. So yeah. stuff like and that still happens. And in those studies, they also collect like an insane amount of data, right? They have all these metrics Often. that if you're running, you know, expensive studies, then you want to collect as mm -hmm. much data as you possibly can. So there's also more room to sort of fiddle yeah. around with your outcomes and your variables and how you create composites. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of work. They're also creating guidelines and checklists. There's, mm -hmm. for example, something called the spirit checklist. Hmm. And and this is has a lot of detail that people have to fill in. And um, hmm. and then there have been journals more recently, as you mentioned. So who checks the quality of this? Well, there was actually a trial at a medical journal where they tried to check, do people actually fill in this checklist? Um, mm -hmm. They had dedicated editors to double check upon submission, you know, and then a lot of people didn't yeah. do it. So they had to send it back and say, mm. you have to tell this, you have to add this information and stuff. So getting people mm -hmm. to do it well, yeah, that is a, a challenge up to today, basically. Yeah. And I, I would also add, like, not just getting people to do it well, but figuring out what well means in all mm -hmm. kinds of different study designs, right? Because I it's not, mm -hmm. I don't think it can be a one shoe fits all sort of an approach. So sometimes you're like, okay, for example, I mean, we talked about, oh, you should do this before your data collection. Okay. But what if you are running a sort of intensive longitudinal study? Right. Or what if you're doing mm -hmm. secondary mm -hmm. data analysis? Like, what do you and it's some, sometimes it's just confusion about, oh, can we pre-register this? Can we not? If yes, then how do we do it? So people are still trying to, I think, fix or answer a lot of these questions. I th It's sort of like a work in progress is how I think about it. Right. Mm -hmm. We are sort of figuring out how to do mm -hmm. it well. What is what does a good pre-registration look like? How long should it be? How much detail should it have? Right. How do we adapt it for different research designs? So, yeah. And maybe. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, I, I knew we would disagree yeah. on a number of things here. Yeah. Yeah, because so let me just tell you what I think about this and you can maybe tell uh -huh. me why why it's wrong. But right. for me it often sounds like, yeah, it's difficult. We have to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And then no, I think we know how to do it. I think we know what the perfect pre registration is. And and I will even yeah yeah I think so I mean so and this is I mean but let's just say the perfect pre-registration before you collect the data or before you have access to the data because I mean first let's get this out of the way so it's possible to pre-register for a study that has uh, for data that has already been collected as mm -hmm. long as you can have some sort of guarantee that you didn't really look at this data, that you didn't have access to it. That is the but tricky thing, of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. but how can you guarantee it if you have publicly available data sets that you're going to you look can't. at? There is no way yeah, you can you guarantee. Can't. Yeah. No, no. No, So you exactly. can't do this. But I mean, the fact that the data so, exists is not So, oh, wait, are you saying the they, shouldn't, they shouldn't pre-register in those cases? You cannot achieve a perfect pre-registration in right. those cases. No, oh, no, well. you can't. Now, you can yeah. say, look, I mean, trust me on it. I didn't look at it. Well, but you can then you can also say, trust me, I hypothesized it before exactly. I ran the study. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Then where where do I start? I mean, now, I really think that there are some situations where people can make a decent case where they say... Um, yeah, no, but no, I no, actually not. I'm just going to go back on myself. No, I don't think so. If the data's there, the data's there. Now, mm -hmm. let me just say say one thing. So I think um, there's actually a book I really like as well um, by Adrian de Groot called Methodology from 1969. Um, that's the <laughs> English version in any case. 
And then he actually explains this difference between uh, data already existing and not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter for the prediction that the data already exists. So he writes, a scientific prediction may be made with respect to events in the past as well as in the present or in the future. In this connection, psychologists sometimes differentiate between prediction and post-diction, but this is not a fundamental distinction. So it doesn't matter that the data already exists. What he says, the justification of the term prediction equals foretelling is that Mm -hmm. in principle, the verifying procedure is situated in the future and has a still unknown outcome, which can therefore be predicted. So I think this is the key. We're making a prediction Mm-hmm. And you have to show that you don't already know the outcome. Now, a very good way to show this is the data doesn't exist yet. So nobody right. knows the outcome. Right? Mm-hmm. There are some cases where you can have a good pre-registration for existing data, but then somebody needs to safeguard access right. to this data set. That happens. There's biobanks where you don't mm-hmm. get access to all the data. Or, you know, sometimes nowadays people actually collect a lot of data and share a little part of it, mm-hmm. but keep the rest under lock and key. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of public, you know, government organizations will provide just openly accessible educational data. There's a ton of those. There is no mm-hmm. way to guarantee that you haven't actually looked at the data in those cases. Exactly. But I think a pre-registration is still useful in those cases. Yep. Well, we can, okay, I'm, I'm happy to hear why you think it's still useful, but let me just say that I think in those cases we should cut the bullshit We should just say that is not the same kind of pre-registration anymore because that part of it that you can guarantee that you're predicting something, you can't guarantee it. It's still lovely if it, you know. I disagree. I disagree Mm -hmm. because then, I mean, we're going from this assumption that we cannot trust the researchers to honestly Mm -hmm. have done what they say they did. And I'm not sure we want Mm -hmm. to live in that world. Right. And I'm not saying yeah. people will not take advantage of it, but I think, mm-hmm. right, on, on, on average, I think if, if researchers are saying, OK, we didn't look at these data, the, the data, data set exists, we have just we're going to access it after this pre-registration. I think mm-hmm. we should still, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, again, we should trust our, our colleagues. Right. If and of course, some people will, of course, lie about it, but they can lie. Another way. People mm-hmm. who are willing to lie that openly will lie anyway, right? They could be committing fraud yeah. for all we know, right? So it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think even and I to me, it's like always. Yes, of course, there's the idea of that it prevents you from hypothesizing after the results are known. But I also think there's mm-hmm. an immense value in just thinking yourself about what you're predicting, why you're predicting it, how you will test it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. even if you, mm-hmm. even if nobody believes that you have done it correctly, um, or done mm-hmm. it, done it the way you said you're doing it, I think just personally as a researcher, I think it, it's useful to go through those steps before you actually yeah. run the study. Like I personally, All and right. that's why I mean, there are people who say, oh, pre-registration should be pretty short, and some templates like as mm-hmm. predicted is like only two pages. I really mm-hmm. like, even though it's much more cumbersome, I personally like the OSF um, pre-registration mm-hmm. template. It's a lot more detailed, but it sort of, com- you know, gets you thinking mm-hmm. about things you should think about before. And, you know, you can provide more detail in there, which I personally find just very helpful. Yeah. yeah. Even, even if All nobody right. believes me, I don't care. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> well, so there, there are two things. Let's yeah. take the trust issue for a second, and then mm-hmm. we come to the practice of it's still useful, even if right. uh, nobody believes that you did it in advance. Okay, mm-hmm. so the trust issue. Now, to counteract my own uh, comment here. <laughs> nice, yeah. Uh, because if you, if the data doesn't exist yet, there is still trust. There's still trust that you're actually collecting real data. Right. I mean, we're still not at the point where we're requiring people to wear a body cam when they go into the lab so that we can see there was a real participant. Right. There is some trust. And yeah. we we did a whole episode about trust. Yeah. And it's part exactly. of science. Uh-huh. So, all yeah. right. There is trust. So mm-hmm. then I think for these other data sets that are open and that mm-hmm. exist, what people can do is say, look, this is you know, sometimes the data is indeed not completely accessible or only mm-hmm. part of it is accessible or something. They can say this. Mm-hmm. Other times they can say, yeah, I guess, you know, they say this data set exists. There is no way for you to know for sure that we didn't look at the data. Right. And we're just telling you that we did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine. I think it's yeah. fine, you know, and if people do it. But yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. And and the extent to which we should trust people in that case, I find it very interesting, you know, because we're there's no way to guarantee it. We have to trust them on it. Should we do it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Good question. And that brings us to, yeah, that brings us to another question. But I also want to make another comment before we go to the question, but I'll put it out. Mm-hmm. Like, how mm-hmm. should we evaluate studies that have been pre-registered versus not now in our mm-hmm. discipline? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, should mm-hmm. we be evaluating mm-hmm. those two studies differently? But before I go to that, I mean, I do also want to point out that it's not even the case that, oh, the data already exists and we're saying we didn't look at it. Um, in some cases, it might even be the case that the data have not been collected. But it's, you know, you're getting data from, let's say, some school districts or whatever. And it's hard to tell what the data will look like. So you can maybe pre-register yeah. your hypotheses and like open research questions, but you will not be able to provide details about how exactly, like, right, which model you will use, how you will write, like, because you don't know what you're going to get at the end of it. So in some cases, yeah. it will be hard to do it, even if the data don't exist yet, because it's it's not that clear cut, like, what the data structure will be once you get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that is also fine. Now, mm-hmm. there are two things there. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I think if you have some uncertainties, you can pre-register more conditional Mm. analysis paths right so you can say well i i don't know exactly how the data looks like but i do know quite a lot about this field Mm. and sometimes it's a bit more like this and then we'll analyze like this and sometimes it's a bit more Mm -hmm. like this and then we'll analyze like this and and this comes to this other point where people say yeah sometimes you can't you just don't know exactly how it is so the pre-registration would be too difficult to do and then i say yeah so you (laughs) can't predict you can't predict something. And here, and this is a hard line uh, uh, view, uh-huh. which I basically get directly from De Groot, who writes in his uh-huh. book, Methodology. And I wonder what you think if this is too extreme, but I, uh-huh. I kind of like it. Yeah. So he writes, if one knows something to be true, he is in a position to predict. Where prediction is impossible, there is no knowledge. Hmm. Mic drop, the groot. <laughs> so this is just, if you can't predict what happens in your longitudinal study, you have no knowledge. That's fine. But then you can't predict. Is he talking about prediction in the hypothesis sense or prediction in sort of the colloquial, can you predict what is going to happen? 
Or maybe that's not that's not a distinction that makes sense, but for him, it's just you make a prediction like this is what's going to happen in terms of the data pattern, or even this hmm. is what my statistical test is going to show. And if this happens, this prediction happens, mm-hmm. then yeah, I was right about my theory, for example, or whatever you're doing to collect the data for, yeah. or, or I was right that there is a difference in this intervention in this school, um, that right. it is indeed better, you know? So, so however you yeah. quantify the prediction based on some sort of data you collect, you say, this is the pattern that I predict will happen. Maybe this test result is what I predict will happen. That is the prediction. And if you can't predict that, it's fine. But we, you know, we just have a lot of science that is not testing a prediction. Then you are just collecting data and describing what happens perfectly fine. But is that not knowledge either? I mean, then you're saying that no descriptive research provides knowledge. That I don't agree with. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we can debate what you want to, how you want to define knowledge. But I think, yeah, in his case, he says knowledge is basically things that will allow you to generalize, make predictions about the future. And it's different than saying, um, after I looked at the data, the mean was 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is knowledge, sure. But he yeah. is talking about knowledge, which allows you to, yeah, yeah, make predictions. I mean, for him, it's just the, the thing. If you have knowledge, you can predict something. He's basically equating the two. So it's not that a descriptive mm-hmm. statistic is not useful to have, and mm-hmm. science should do a lot of descriptive mm-hmm. research. Um, but then just don't say that you're making predictions or testing predictions. You are not, which is totally fine. You are just mm-hmm. saying, we really don't really know how to test whether this intervention will do better. We don't mm-hmm. know how to test it yet. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to do is collect a bunch of data and just explore mm-hmm. the data patterns. Also, statistically, we will run some tests, but we don't know yet which tests. And we're just going to tell you yeah. what we find, more or less, and describe this, this pattern in the data as well as we can. And then maybe you can use it to build a theory that can make predictions. But we are not testing any predictions. I think that's what the Groot would say. And I kind of agree with this. And it's totally fine. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with him. Um, also, because you <laughs> could still, right? I mean, it's it just goes back to what level of prediction we're talking about. Because you could have researchers yeah. who say, we don't know how we will do it, but we predict that this intervention will be better than this intervention. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But there's like, you know, 15 different ways you could test that prediction. So at what yeah. level do you want um, that prediction to yeah. be made? Because if you're just saying, okay, we predict it to be better, better than A, A to be better than B. Okay. That's doable. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. But, but then if we're saying, but, hey, we really wanted you to tie your hands and, and specifically mention, mm-hmm. okay, we expect to see this result and this outcome for us to say that, okay, A predicted B. Okay. Then you, if you, if you're not doing that, then you, haven't generated any knowledge, which again, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. but yeah, but but I like it. So there are a couple of things here. So this tying your hands down, right? Mm-hmm. Now we have a formal term for this, or mm-hmm. at least something that we are trying to do. Like mm-hmm. we are trying to prevent making an error by just testing a bunch of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's the right. problem. So when you say there are fifteen ways to do this, mm-hmm. okay. So, so here I have another point that I think is maybe interesting. So I don't really like those terms like confirmatory research and exploratory <laughs> research. Wait, and not? I don't like it. I don't like it for this reason, because if you do 15 tests, 
uh-huh. like you just described, right? So right. we have this intervention, we're running it in a school. We don't really know how we're going to test it, but there can be 15 ways to test mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you call that exploratory or confirmatory? I mean, in spirit, it's confirmatory in the sense that you're saying, hey, I expect this intervention to be better, assuming you have that. But if it's like, oh, we don't know which one's better, we're just testing it out to see which one's better. That's exploratory. Mm -hmm. But if you're going in with like, no, oh, no, we think intervention A is better than B, then that's confirmatory. Yeah. But 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 the and then you're just going to do 15 tests. And that is no, no. But if you do, no, no. I think if you have a hypothesis like this where you're like, oh, we think A is better than B, mm-hmm. then you should mm-hmm. specify exactly how you're going to measure or how you're going to test that. Is it going to be grades? Is it going to be, you know, moving on to a second, yeah. you know, version of the class? Is it going to be overall GPA? Mm-hmm. Whatever, right? Um, okay. You should, you should yeah. specify how you want to test yeah. that prediction. And if you have 15 tests, then that's too much. That's not that, a single right. test. So that's exploratory. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is why I don't like this distinction. Because for me, Mm-hmm. If you have 15 tests mm-hmm. that you think you could run on this, that, that's not okay. and you sit down in advance mm-hmm. and you write down what these 15 tests are, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you apply an appropriate correction mm-hmm. for multiple comparison mm-hmm. so that your type 1 error rate remains controlled. Mm-hmm. Then for me, this is a confirmatory test. But actually, I want to just skip that whole word. What I care about is mm-hmm. this, based on this procedure, mm-hmm. you will make an error controlled claim. Hmm. Or you will make a severely tested claim. And this right. is what I care about. I don't care about confirmatory, exploratory, whatever it is, what I want you to show me is you have severely tested this claim in the sense that if you were wrong, Mm -hmm. you're not going to find that you are right about it, right? You're going to find that you were wrong. So we control the error rates. And as long as this error control happens, then I'm happy with this claim. This is also when you said before, like what I like about pre-registration is that you sit down and you really work out what am I going to do? Lovely. And if at this point you think, ah, I can do 15 things, great. For me, that's perfect. So you can say, okay, there are these 15 things we can do. Great. You control the type 1 error rate for these 15 tests. And then for me, it will be a severely tested claim. I mean, yes, you might have to do a Bonferroni correction or something, divide your alpha by 15, but hey, that's that's okay. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah, I mean, all of that is fair. I don't disagree with any of it. I guess I would just like to draw the distinction between theoretical predictions and, or yeah, th- yeah like mm. theoretical hypotheses and statistical hypotheses, right? There's mm-hmm. So I think when people mm-hmm. are talking about confirmatory versus exploratory, they're mostly talking about sort of the theoretical hypothesis realm Ah. not the statistical test realm ah you think so i think Hmm. so Hmm. yeah i think so so they're not they don't think that oh but but i think what they're talking about with exploratory versus confirmatory is exploratory we don't have a theoretical prediction we don't have sort of Mm -hmm. a you know theoretical hypothesis so we're just going to look at Mm -hmm. the data versus if you have a hypothesis, mm-hmm. but it's mostly like words, right? You you just think something, mm-hmm. right? But I think the statistical yeah. the statistical hypotheses or the statistical tests, I think, 
are slightly different. And that's what you're mainly talking about, right? That even if you have, but, but even yeah. in the case that you're saying, oh, I have 15 ways of testing this and they're all statistical mm -hmm. tests and then you should control your error rate. All of that is fair. But even that case, yeah. I mean, I think we both also just agree that you would still con consider that confirmatory because you're sort of, the everything that precedes it is confirmatory, right? You have a theoretical prediction and then you're just using yeah. multiple yeah, statistical tests mm -hmm. to test it. Yeah. Yeah. I I still think I don't care. No. No. I I sorry. I still You don't think care that between even if you even yeah. if you had people who did not have a hypothesis, like a substantive hypothesis, and mm -hmm. they were like, We're just going to go run these fifteen tests with different kinds of outcomes. Yeah. Control our yeah. error rate, but whatever comes out, we will present it as being that's not yeah, confirmatory, I Daniel. I think that whole world word of confirmatory is, I mean, if you, maybe you want to use it for, um, you have derived the hypothesis clearly from some theory or mm -hmm. something, you know? Yeah. Instead of you just came up with it out of nowhere. Right. This is fine. If this mm -hmm. is your distinction, and maybe you think, uh, maybe you want to use the word confirmatory for... Um, a test that is derived from a mm -hmm. hypothesis and exploratory mm -hmm. for any testing we do that is just not derived from a right mm -hmm. but yeah. in that's in that sense i mean then pre-registration doesn't really care about either of those two right it's never that like where does the test come from we're testing we're controlling this error rate that's what we're trying to do with the pre-registration well you no, don't think so i don't think so because mm -hmm. there has to be a logic Right, you cannot. The logic between your substantive hypothesis and your sort of statistical hypothesis, mm -hmm. there has to be a link between that for it to be a valid pre-registration, right? Like if, okay. if I was saying earlier, if somebody was agnostic toward like towards how the data will come out, but was like, oh, we will run these fifteen tests with all different variables, different outcomes, but we're going to control mm -hmm. our error rate. That's yeah, not a valid pre-registration. That's not a valid pre-registration. No, you think so? But this is so no, interesting. No, no, I I would not think so at all. Yeah. Ah, okay. Hmm. Well, I think maybe it's me, but I feel that. Oh well. I mean, first of all, the fact that we uh, think so differently about this. Is I very told you, we, I knew we were going to disagree mm, um, on multiple yeah. levels. Well, here. no, it's not even disagree, but it's like on which level uh, does the confirmatory versus exploratory play a role and what is pre-registration trying to do? And you're basically really focusing on the fact that you want the theory, the derivation of the theoretical prediction to not be made up after the fact. Yeah. Uh, and you want to see that part. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And oh, I, clear. I mean, and I think that is the more important yeah. part of, of the pre-registration, right? The statistical yeah. test, okay. if, you, if you can get that precise, I think that's great. And that's the direction we should be moving toward, right? Yeah. But it's really at the, mm -hmm. at the sort of substantive hypothesis level that you want to wow. make sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting because I am really talking all about the statistical control. No, yeah. I don't care where your, I mean, I also care about where your hypothesis comes from, but not for the pre-registration no. part, but just to evaluate your theory. But wherever it comes from, you come up with some sort of prediction. Mm -hmm. I don't care where it comes from. And then I only want to know in the pre-registration, like, did you severely test it? Did you, did you prevent flexibility where you fool around or where you do tests or where you, or in the worst case, where you come up with the test after mm -hmm. looking at the data and which test would be significant? So that process of mm -hmm. the statistical test 
Yeah. That part for me is where the pre-registration matters. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. I guess I should make clear that when I'm saying, oh, if, you, if you're creating 15 tests, what I was trying mm-hmm. to say is that if you have 15 tests that are all answering different questions, not that they're mm-hmm. all testing the diff- same question in a different way. If they were all mm-hmm. testing the same question, just in a different way, then I think mm-hmm. I would still consider it a valid, as long as, again, that link between your statistical and your substantive hypothesis mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. But if it's all mm-hmm. random, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't think that would be a valid use no. of a pre-registration, no. Because then you could write yeah. post-hoc, you could just, okay, the, you know, one of those came out significant, we controlled the error rate, fine, but then we're writing this grand story about how we came up with a hypothesis on what, what it is yeah. after no, the fact. No, no, you're which completely not, right. I mean, right. you're completely right that you can pre-register. I mean, in the, in the worst case, let's just say I just take a random uh, generator that picks mm-hmm. out uh, random uh, dependent variables to yeah. measure, mm-hmm. and it picks out 100 from a database of everything mm-hmm. we can measure. Yeah. And I, I take, uh, uh, you know, those 100 dependent variables, and I... Mm-hmm. Um, collect them all from a big group of people and then mm-hmm. I have my 100 by 100 correlation <laughs> table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And then I would say, look, if you if you control the error rate over these 100 correlations, which is going to be a bit tough, but you can do mm-hmm. it. I mean, not 100 correlations, but 100 by 100, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you can. A a very strict, yeah. mm-hmm. strict correction. Mm-hmm. And um, then whichever it's claim 5, you end up making 50? in the end. Yeah. Yeah, but whatever claim you make is uh, controlled, is error controlled. So the pre-registration just means we can trust this claim. Uh, Mm. We used a ridiculously low alpha and this this claim is um, severely tested in that sense, right? But you would say, come on, why did you pre-register? Because there's no theoretical derivation of anything. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Yeah, that is what I would say. And you say. really want the pre-registration to give insight in the fact that you came up with the prediction based on theory and not based on the data. I mean, I know. Well, yes. I mean, I personally would, which is again why I said I like the OSF because you really sort of give the background mm-hmm. and right, or there's mm-hmm. more room to do mm-hmm. it than in say something like as predicted. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do think that people right for me mm-hmm. to and there's mm-hmm. some. I mean, I don't know if you you've had this experience. Sometimes you read papers. Where the central hypothesis, when you read it, you're like, oh, like that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you, it's such an odd <laughs> prediction. But then you read their introduction and they have uh-huh. laid out an argument for, you uh-huh. know, research that has been happened before, just the, just mm-hmm. the literature. Mm-hmm. And then they're very nicely sort of deriving, okay, because, you know, we've seen this in the past, so we predict this. And then you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Even if it's mm-hmm. a very mm-hmm. outlandish sort of a hypothesis that you wouldn't have thought were true mm-hmm. i like to see the logic of how you came up with it mm-hmm. i think i think that yeah. is very important in terms of evaluating certain hypotheses yeah but even if you just pre-registered if you you're whatever doing a short pre-registration it's just the hypothesis okay fine that that's fine ideally i think mm-hmm. and that's i think one of the benefits that's one of i think the advantages of a registered report in my opinion over pre-registrations right because you do have to write mm-hmm. the introduction and the methods. Yeah, yeah. So you are laying yeah. out, okay, this yeah. is why we expect it to be the case and this is how we're going to test it. So, Yeah, yeah. But with this sort of outlandish prediction, what mm-hmm. you really want to see is, mm-hmm. okay, if you came up with all of this stuff and mm-hmm. it sounds weird to me, but mm-hmm. I read through the whole introduction mm-hmm. and now it kind of makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. But if that is pre-registered, for you it really makes sense. But if that was not pre-registered, yes, 
then what I would, would not. Yeah, I would, would be not. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you just made yeah. up a story after yeah. the fact. That, then you think you. Yes. So basically, then you don't trust them, which yeah. is fine. Which is mm-hmm. fine because yeah. because at least the story is not trustworthy in itself. Right. You know? you, the story is not convincing you, and then there's also no pre-registration right. to convince you, and then you're just not convinced yeah. about and that the story. Is, yeah. But and that is. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, and that is not to say that they couldn't be right about the story that they have created after the fact. Right. That is not to yeah. say that they're wrong about it. It's yes. just that you have looked at the data and then now, you, now you're trying to just explain the results that you got. Right. It's yes. it's not yes. a scientific way um, yeah. of coming nice. up with nice. an explanation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And this is yeah completely right. And this is something that we do agree on, I think. So it could be that if you. Uh, even the sharpshooters fallacy mm-hmm. kind of thing. Well, here, here they really draw the circle after mm-hmm. the fact. So we really the the thi- But the thing is, we don't know if they can hit a target from exactly. like a hundred meters away. Exactly. Now it could be that they draw it on the barn after mm-hmm. shooting the barn, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, but you draw it after the fact," and then they say, "Yeah, but." Here we go, and then shoots again, time. and and then hits the target because mm-hmm. they are just a great sharpshooter, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is this is exactly this concept of severity that I've mentioned a couple mm-hmm. of times. What you what you've done is you have not used a method mm-hmm. that leads to severely tested claims. Mm-hmm. Your claim might still be right, you right. know. We we yeah. can literally have <laughs> if, data frauds. If, if your circle chalk yeah. just covers the whole barn, right? That's another example. <laughs> That's another example where it's not a severe test. And actually, right. interestingly enough, mm. it's sort of um, um, a theoretical, not severe test, mm. you know, where, where you would sort of say something like, uh, I'm going to measure uh, social media exposure mm-hmm. and uh, mental health. And, and I have a data set of uh, 1 million kids. And my yeah. prediction is the correlations are not going to be zero. Right. And then we would all be like, well, wow, I think I think you're going to be right because yeah. how could it be zero? It's not going to be zero. So that's also a not severe test. Like, of course, it's not going to be zero. The correlation in a million people is going to be significant. It's also not a severe test. But don't you think that we suffer from it even even if you don't have a million participants? If all we're testing yeah. is against a null of no effect, which means, oh, the, the mm-hmm. null means, mm-hmm. oh, it's exactly zero, the difference between... Yeah you know, treatment and control. Yeah. Well, that's not a very severe... T- I mean, you have written about it, right? That we should really be figuring out a smallest effect size of interest and... Yeah. Yeah, I have written about it, but not now that you talk about this sort of important... I of, I mean, of this derivation chain, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, we, yeah. we have a preprint that's online about this topic where we can say... where we say something like, yeah, you know, sometimes theories are just uh, so vague that mm-hmm. it doesn't allow for a severe test and that mm-hmm. is problematic. So we have written this down, but I've never really made this distinction of, yeah, what you just say with pre-registration, mm-hmm. the benefit of pre-registration for the clarity of the derivation, derivation chain. chain. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you can say, look, this derivation chain, you came up with this part right. before you looked at the data. And that is yeah. basically for the theoretical severity. And mm-hmm. what I was talking about is the statistical, statistical severity. severity. So it's yeah. it's lovely. I mean, you can really do both. And and again, we have this preprint, which yeah, we should 
revise one sentence <laughs> anyway. But yeah. okay. But but I like it. No, because mm-hmm. yeah, it, it made it a little bit clearer for me as well. So I like it. <laughs> well, like you're it. welcome, even Daniel. Previously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna uh, I think this is worth adding. No, but this is great. Yeah. Um in indeed. So there in any case, there are many ways in which you can right. have a non severe test. It can mm-hmm. be theoretically non severe. Um the same can happen by the way with uh, you just using such bad measures. Like if your measurement <laughs> oh, is so right. bad mm-hmm. You can really create a case where everything will be non-significant, but just because your measure sucks, mm. you know, I mean, so that's another way to mess up the claim mm. in the sense that even if your theory is correct, mm-hmm. your measure is so bad that nothing is going to work, you know, mm. and that's also a methodological procedure right. that will not tell you. So so the shorthand of this severity concept is sort of mm-hmm. showing that you're right when mm-hmm. you're right. And showing that you're wrong hmm. when you're wrong. That's that's right. the two things you basically want, right? So yeah. if you're right, the test should tell you that you're right. Mm-hmm. And if you're wrong, the test should tell you that you're wrong. And right. what you don't want is, of course, situations where even if you're right, the test always says, yeah, you're wrong, <laughs> you're wrong, you're wrong. Yeah. You know, then right. you have a non-severe test. So, yeah. yeah. So you can mess up in, in many ways. Um, I think uh, nice, yeah. nice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nullius in Verba. Our theme song is Newton's Cradle by Grand Brothers. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or comments you'd like to share, you can reach us over email at nulliusinverbapod at gmail.com or our social media accounts at Mastodon or Twitter. In this episode, we started a spirited discussion about the spirit of pre-registration. In the second part of this discussion, We discuss exploratory versus confirmatory research, the fears and misconceptions about pre-registration, and what happens when things don't go according to the pre-registered plan. We hope you will join us.